And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's up? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spin Rate, the Athletics Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and we are here. It is the middle of spring, but it is an exciting time, I think, to be a Blue Jays fan. It's all feels like it's coming together, sort of, for the most part. But uh, but as I said, Spin Rate is the show, and coming together, me, Drew, coming together with my co-host, Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I got There's a really weird radio voice thing going right now. It's a lot. I feel <laughs> like it's a lot. I'm putting it on a lot. It's very performative, uh, but I'm trying not to be. But anyway, uh, you love spring training. You told me just before we started recording. This is your favorite <laughs> part of the time, favorite part of the year. This is not only my favorite part of the year, but... My favorite part of my favorite part of the year, really in the <laughs> muddy middle of spring training, doesn't get any better than than doing your third roster projection of spring or whatever. It is. If you're not struggling over who's going to be the ninth reliever or the fifth guy on the bench, you're not even living. But one thing, something we've talked about a lot, the games are starting to resemble real games little little by little. Little by little, the pitchers are going an extra time. We're maybe seeing batters get four at-bats, sticking in the games a little bit longer. So it's starting to be closer, closer to being real baseball. When real baseball starts, we think it would be a great thing for you, who's listening to this, to subscribe to The Athletic. Because there's so much stuff for you to read, to check out. You can read Caitlin. You can read Keith Law, who we had on last week. You can read about every other team. You can read Blake Murphy talking about the Raptors. What are they going to do at the trade deadline? You can do all that. But if you're going to subscribe to The Athletic and you haven't already, I think you should go to theathletic.com slash spin rate. And then they'll give you a tidy little discount. It was already a really nice promotion going on. I don't know that you can double them up. But go there anyway so that you so that they they know that we sent you. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic already. And if you have, awesome. Thank you. If you have subscribed to this show, you can do that. You can do that on Spotify. Where else? Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Overcast and all those places. And if you have, thank you so much. You know, we're, 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 we're having a good time here with the, with the new show in 2021. We hope that you're enjoying it too. Thanks to everyone who's uh, left positive comments and checking it out, sharing it with a friend, whatever you're doing. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, and we are going to get into the nitty gritty, the nitty gritty on this edition of Spin Rate. We're talking roster, we're, we're talking full rosterbation, we're talking, you know, going crazy over five plate appearances and what they mean and how big they are, all the spring training nonsense that you love. Let's start at the top, or not the top, the back, behind the plate. This is, I feel like, maybe the more hotly contested uh, uh, positional battle, something that even qualifies as a positional battle. And it's, it's, it's for the backup catcher position, 
but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's been a lot of talk about where Alejandro Kirk is going to fit in on the big league roster and what it means for Reese McGuire. Uh, I know, Caitlin, there's something you wrote about this week. What do you think? Where, where are the Blue Jays going to land when it comes to, to the, the kind of behind the plate tandem? Um, and especially as it relates to Kirk and, and McGuire. Yeah, it's interesting because my thoughts on this topic have sort of been evolving along with spring, which I think is one of the few will be one of the few areas of the roster where um, I maybe change my mind a little bit. Um, And that's also just like the nature of the Blue Jays roster. I think we've said on this podcast before and people have heard me say that like most of the positions are kind of set, like there really weren't that many roster battles coming into camp. Um, So there were very few areas where I could really change my mind, but um, I was on uh, the radio um, the fan 590, uh, a few days ago over the weekend. Um, and, uh, this similar question was posed and I was sort of giving my spiel and I was sort of convincing myself, um, on air that I think that Kirk now should be on the opening day roster. And actually I should add that when we talked to Keith last week, he kind of helped me also further changed my mind. Like he made a lot of really good points. Um, I'm sure everybody's listened to what he said, but you know, he just sort of talked about how Alejandro Kirk has kind of proven that he can hit in the major leagues. And there's really not that much benefit for him to continue developing in the lower minor league levels um, when he could probably enhance his development at the major league level um, and make your team better because he's already one of the better hitters on the team. So you know, that's partly like why I've changed my mind. Like I just have sort of come around to the idea that maybe Kirk can finish off that development at the major league level. And also if the Blue Jays are a team that are in a position to be competing and presumably they are a team in a position to be competing because you don't spend almost $200 million in the off season to not compete. Like they're a team that wants to win now. And I think the competitive window is opening now it's not going to be a one-year window, but certainly this year could be a year where they could take uh, steps forward. And so with that in mind, you want to have the best team. And I think Alejandro Kirk, you know, makes the lineup better. In fact, I think there's some, I've read somewhere, I think uh, Jeff Pass and ESPN had a piece up today. I only saw a bit of a snippet of it because it's one of those things that sort of gets shared around because it was a very, um, it was a it was a comment that was very um, it was praising Kirk a lot, and I think it's essentially said that like um, you know one other team manager or another member of another organization saw Kirk this spring and said that not only should he be on the Blue Jays team, but he could be the starting catcher on this team this year. So I, I think we all know what Kirk can do, and I mean I guess I should also like you know, um, remind everyone that the sample size is quite small. Like he played nine games last year. He was great in those nine games, but very, very small sample. At the same time, he's kind of hit at every level that he's been at. He's always been very, had a good approach. He doesn't really strike out. He always hits the ball pretty hard. Um, and comments from pitchers have been pretty much overwhelmingly positive. It seems like whatever development he has left at the major leagues, Maybe it can be done at the major leagues because it's like that fine tuning of game calling and stuff. So I'll let you jump in in here in a second. But 
I think that that's sort of, I'm sort of, I'm laying out the reasons why I've sort of started to change my mind. And before this all off season into the start of spring, like when I was doing all those roster projections, I was always going the safe route and picking Reese McGuire. And while I think my thoughts um, and my reasoning for Kirk now is developing and I feel like I am saying Kirk should be on the roster with more conviction. I will also say that I can completely see the Blue Jays going with McGuire though. He's more established. If we were going to put so much stock into like Kirk's tiny sample size um, or, or maybe rather I should say if we should caution people to not put too much stock in his tiny sample size, then also we have to say, well, Reese really didn't play very many games in 2020 and he was really bad in them, but also, you know, over his career, he's performed better and he is a defensive, um, defensive catcher that the Blue Jays could use. Um, also he's out of options. So that's another thing you have to consider. Um, and you know, the Blue Jays could risk losing him if they don't put him on the roster, whereas Kirk obviously has options. So he could start at the minor league site or the alternate sites, I should say. Anyway, I've, I've gone on too long. You jump in here. Help me make sense of this roster so decision. You basically laid out the only real reason for keeping Reese McGuire around is that he's out of options and you're afraid of losing him because the, the idea of asset management is something that Blue Jays fans love to talk about. And, and you know, all, a lot of fans and fans who pay attention and fans are who, who try to be a little bit more aware of, of kind of the inner workings of a, of a big league club are going to point to asset management. And if you lose Reese McGuire, uh, you know, a, a, a viable big league receiver, that would be wasteful. But, the win now and the win, the, the com- competitive window thing is significant in the way that, like, Reese McGuire's not a good, he's not good. He's not a good enough player to worry about losing in my mind. I think that Reese McGuire can't hit. I think he had a, a delightful little run at the end of 2019 that, that got a lot of folks, um, I'm excited, but like, he projects to be such a significantly below average player that, that few, if any, uh, defensive players are able to make up that difference, frankly. And I love watching Reese McGuire catch. I think he's a, uh, watching it behind the plate. He's great. He's really fun to watch. I really like everything that he does. In 2019, he actually, he, he posted strong defensive numbers. Uh, but I don't know that they're good enough because he really, really isn't going to hit. And the Blue Jays need to win. And I think that Alejandro Kirk really gives them a, a stronger opportunity to do that. Sorry, my cat is on. The microphone? Yeah, your cat really wants to weigh in on this. The, the cat has a lot of big Alejandro Kirk opinions. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I like you. I, I, Keith Law uh, on the show last week, if you, if you didn't listen, I would recommend you do that as soon as you're finished with this one. But he had a lot of really great things to say, including the idea of, you know, don't waste your bullets. And, and Alejandro Kirk has hit everywhere. He is maybe the kind of player that you wouldn't pencil in for a long big league career. So if you want to win now and you've got a guy who even in a nine games, in a nine game stint, uh, you know, the, the sample size notwithstanding, watching him, he never looked overmatched. He can hit a big league fastball. He did it many times. He doesn't strike out. I think that there's the, the risk with, 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 with Kirk is, is reduced in that if you bring him up and he's somehow not completely not ready, you can always send him back down and to find a replacement 
catch and throw guy like for Reese McGuire, if say you, excuse me, you are the Blue Jays and you do lose him on the waiver wire, you can find another guy to do that job. You know, and, and given, given a, how much, how highly the Blue Jays think of Danny Jansen, how highly the pitchers think of him, all the, the, all that's been spoken of his ability to, to, you know, work closely with, with pitchers and develop game plans and put all this time in. He's the defensive catcher at this point. Let him do that. He has not hit at the big league level, you know, other than a couple, you know, in fits and starts here and there, but, but you don't need this, the veteran presence on the big league roster every day when you're trying to win games. So if Alejandro Kirk can, if you want to try to win, you can get him there. And as Keith said last week, and I don't, I don't know that that's, that it's going to be that way, but he would say almost like let him take closer to the lion's share of the games. Maybe if it's like a 90, 70 or 160 split between the two catchers, as opposed to 120, 40 or however you want to think about it. So I'm very much in the camp that like let, let Kirk play, let him eat. You know, he can, he can hit and until he proves that he can't. And until uh, if he demonstrates himself to be such a bad defensive catcher, given the benefit of of more exposure of of having to catch a bigger variety of guys, you know, Hyunjin Ryu is, presents his own challenges with all of the movement and the finesse of of his um of his pitches. And if if Kirk isn't able to frame him up in the way that that you would like to see, then it's time to reconsider. But I think it's got to be Kirk, and and I am. If I, it's, again, I'm not the asset manager in 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 this case, but Reese McGuire is not the kind of player that I am, you know, really look, losing sleep over. You know, Austin Hedges is is the best defensive catcher in baseball and has been for a couple of years, but that's a guy that can barely keep a job. You know, like his 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 skills are considerable, but he he's such a a, a negative at the plate that. You know, you, you can't, you, it's hard to envision winning with a guy who is like a total negative, like with, with, who offers so little behind the plate. So I don't know. I'm, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not super, um, worried about losing Reese McGuire, who again, I love watching behind the plate, but I think if you're trying to win, it's got to be Kirk. Yeah. And I, oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, and I would just add that, uh, I mean, and we talked about this again last week with Keith, but like catching is actually a particular area of depth for the Blue Jays. And Kirk might not even be the best young catcher on their depth chart. That might be Gabby Moreno, who's, I don't know how many years away he is, two, three. But back to your point is that, yeah, like if Kirk can hit right now and he's going to help your team right now and he might not project to play in the major leagues for 15 years and you've got another ca- a young catcher who could be even better than him and Jansen, um, then yeah, you you want to use Kirk and his abilities right now to help your team win. And, um, you know, I mean, some people, you know, some people might say that like – some people might say that, uh, like you said, it's not it's not worth losing McGuire and just let let Kirk take his time. But yeah, I think I'm, I think I think I'm fully convinced at this point that it should be it should be Kirk. Although I don't I don't know the Blue Jays will do that. The other side, I think, also is is that we are almost uh, presuming that Danny Jansen is like is the number one catcher and that he is not without his own shortcomings and his own performance question marks su- such that that may maybe i don't know what side of this i'm arguing when i say this but like maybe keeping 
you know, all your options open, big league viable catchers, uh, um, as such, such, which is to say, if you protect, uh, McGuire from waivers and you do end up sending Kirk down, that's not just insurance for, for, for losing McGuire. It's insurance, insurance for Jansen, where if he is unable to, to hit or if he's unable to perform, uh, it, 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 it opens up that opportunity where suddenly it's, it's Kirk and McGuire or the twosome if Jansen is hurt or struggling or underperforming, which seems extreme. Uh, to say, but I, I, I am not certainly not the kind of person who would ever say that Danny Jansen is a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But, and I think the point, yeah, like you're right in the sense that if they do lose McGuire, they suddenly lose that depth piece mm-hmm. um, who can at least handle major leagues. Like, as, you know, the Blue Jays have a lot of depth at catching, but two of those guys haven't played in the major leagues yet. So, but back to your point is that, like you said, you can find uh, another catcher who's jobless right now. um, And you can Mm -hmm. sign them. Like there is other guy, there are other guys out there that who could handle that backup job um, suitably. And what's what's Caleb Joseph doing now? Caleb Joseph got a job. He does. I think he's with the Mets. Oh, well, there you go. And but, I think he got hurt the other day. I don't know. But I think but, he's with the Mets. But there there are lots of Caleb Josephs yeah. kicking yeah. around. There are there are lots of versions of that guy. And and you know, maybe again, so I think about the role that McGuire plays. If that's the question, it's like you can't afford to lose him. You can't you don't want to let a guy who is a viable big league backup because he's so strong defensively. But at the same time, you know, those are the those are the kind of players that are nice to have, but they're always you're always able to upgrade them. You're always looking to upgrade them. You always want to do better than the catch and throw guy who puts up a, you know, a, a 290 weighted on base or something like that. Like he's, he's not a good hitter at all. And he's not even close to league average. So, so while you hate to lose him, you're not going to kick yourself because you know, he, he's, uh, my, my thought is he's always going to be what he already is. He's always going to be a really strong defensive catcher. And, if if he goes to wherever and he and he is their backup catcher at, a, at another team in the American League, or um, you know if, if he does what he did in 2019 and runs into a bunch of fastballs for a few weeks, you're like, oh wow, that sucks. We could have we could have used that, but I don't think it's the kind of thing you'd ever bank on. It's not it's not that you're afraid of him breaking out. It's that you lose those skills that he has, which are considerable. His defensive skills again, his defensive 2019 was really strong by a lot of the different metrics. You know, his throwing, his receiving, his. Um, uh, blocking, I guess, is, is something else that, that that's worth tracking. But I think that if you're trying to win, it's got to be Kirk, and you can always send Kirk down and either try to get McGuire through waivers or find another 2021's Caleb Joseph. I guess we got more on the Blue Jays on spin rate right after this note from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Alejandro Kirk hit so well that he's something of a uh, option potentially at designated hitter. You might want to be a, he might be the kind of guy that if he continues to hit and people have a continue, big league pitchers continue to have a hard time getting him out, you want to try to keep him in the lineup. But there might be a bit of a logjam at that DH position if, for example, Rowdy Telez kind of continues to be awesome because he was kind of that last year. So are you taking that bats away from Telez? You got Vlad, you've got, you know, uh, Randall Gritchick or Teoscar Hernandez, whoever might be the odd outfielder. There's going to be some competition for those outfield bats. But I think let's talk real quick about, about, excuse me, about Randy Telez, who's having a bit of a rough spring, but there's also so much to like about what he's, what he did in 2020 and, and looking ahead into 2021 as, as a, as an option at first base and at DH. Um, as a guy who really showed some serious improvement in 2020. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I recently wrote about Rowdy, as I am sure you're kind of alluding to here. This is probably <laughs> why this topic has come up <laughs> this week. But um, but it's funny because I, I sometimes joke that it's not just me, but it feels like there's a pattern where like you start, you write about a guy, you write about all these positive things a guy's done. And then immediately he goes for like over for 25 <laughs> or, mm-hmm. like, or just like, you know, gets chased out of the game in the first inning if he's a pitcher. So I felt this, I felt like I jinxed Rowdy or something this spring because he was actually having a, a little, a nice little burst at the very start. And then by the time I got the story done, he's kind of slumping. But anyway, spring doesn't matter. We know that here. Um, so yeah, like the, the story sort of outlined, um, some of the progress that Rowdy made in 2020. And of course that was a small sample size. I think it was about 35 games or something. Um, but really the, the process started earlier than that. So I talked to Rowdy and I talked to, um, Dante Bichette, who we know was, um, pretty influential last year with a lot of the Blue Jays hitters. He's taking a step back this year into a more sort of part-time special assistant role, but he's still, um, he's still around the team. And so, you know, Bichette and, um, Rowdy started working together. Um, Rowdy went over to the Bichette's home in Florida and w- was hitting with Bo and Dante. And that was uh, after the 2019 season. And basically what Dante told me was that he had actually seen Rowdy in the minors um, back in when Rowdy was in double a, um, he was playing against um, Dante's older son, um, Dante Bichette jr. And so drafted by the he got Yankees. A, he, yeah, when he was with the Yankees organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Dante kind of got a sense of what kind of hitter Rowdy was then. And he explained to me that he was actually more of a pure hitter. Like he he could hit to all fields. Um, he wasn't really swinging for the fences, but he just had that natural power. Um, and, you know, Dante said he also had like a good two-strike approach. Um, and then basically what uh, Dante observed is that 
this is a trend that he he told me that he's seen amongst a lot of younger hitters, especially guys that profile like Rowdy who are bigger um, and just like look like they're power hitters. Um, and they come to major leagues and they just are swinging for the fences and they're trying to go up and hit home runs. And, um, and you know, Rowdy even said, you know, you put pressure on yourself and you're trying to, you know, hit a grand slam when there's no one on base, like that kind of pressure. And so basically, um, you know, Dante just worked with Rowdy um, on that two strike approach, um, sort of two parts. Um, part of it was sort of what he explained to me as sort of getting on top of the fast on the high fastball, as opposed to when Rowdy was going up there, trying to lift the ball, trying to hit Mm -hmm. it out of the park, you're swinging under that high fastball. So you're missing it. So if you if you try to get on top of it, you're actually making better contact with it. And then on the breaking ball, um, this is something that Dante has talked about a lot with other Blue Jays hitters is that idea of um, letting the ball travel deeper. So like letting the ball um, get closer to the catcher's mitt, essentially, before you decide when to swing. And you have to be quick to do this. You have to have like natural bat speed to do this, but it also just gives you more time to make that decision. So um, basically Dante explained it to me as like, you're not getting fooled on the breaking ball. Um, You have more time to decide swing or not swing. And so these are lessons that Rowdy took. Um, They sort of immediately clicked with him. And he also just talked about from Rowdy's perspective, those are sort of the mechanical things, but he also talked a little bit about trusting yourself. And he sort of Dante reminded him, you know, this is the hitter that you used to be in the minor leagues. You don't have to go up there and and intentionally swing for home runs because you're going to hit home runs by accident. Like you're going to hit line drives that are going to go over the fence, right? Like he just has that kind of power. And so I think that was sort of the mantra that Rowdy took into last year, especially the last few weeks before he got injured, was those mechanical changes um, that simplified two strike of approach, but also more self-belief and knowing that he's a good hitter. Um, and it's a battle between the pitcher and the hitter and the pitcher still has to come to you. The pitcher still has to throw strikes. And so if you go up there with that mentality, um, knowing that he's got to beat me, um, you're not overwhelming yourself. You're not putting too much pressure on yourself. Um, and you're also understanding that, um, a foul or just putting a good swing on a pitch is still a good result because you're still hitting. So it was like all these lessons and they just really seemed to click with Rowdy. And um, even though Rowdy isn't having the best spring, I think I saw some stats somewhere that said he's hitting the ball really hard. Um, and so that's always a good sign. Still making good contact. And the, I think Montoya was even asked about it a couple of days ago and he kind of said he thinks that Rowdy still has a good approach, still kind of doing what he was doing last year. The ball, he's hitting the ball really hard. So hopefully it's just like, you know, you you run into some some bad luck here and there. For sure. I think that the changes that Rowdy Till has made and the you know that you've outlined, the way that they manifested on the field is really important. This is a guy that reduced his strikeout rate like it by 13 percentage points which is huge because his strikeout rate was probably in and around the neighborhood of 30% or more. And then he was down in around 21, which was in 2021 or 2020 is like league average. So for a guy that's that big, for a guy that hits the ball that hard, uh, you know, again, I'm grafting skill expectations onto him because of the way that he's built. But for him to have a, a league average strikeout rate and be a power hitter, that's huge. And also just the ability to, to 
to make that change, to put the ball into play, to, to change, maybe have a different two-strike approach while still being what it is that you're supposed to be, what, what it is that you as a first-base DH, left-handed hitting big dude who's supposed to hit the ball out of the ballpark, to be able to do that while cutting your strikeout rate is huge. That's a demonstration of growth. That's a demonstration of maturity and development. And then so a couple, you know, a, a bad run in spring where I think I, so by the time when we're recording right now is OPS is in the 500 range, which is, but that's, I don't think those are the things that are really important to look at during spring training. When I look and I see that his strikeout rate, while it's not as good as it was maybe last year, it's still, he's still, he struck out what, seven times or so in 30 plate appearances. So not great, but it could be a lot worse. You know, it's not, and he is hitting the ball hard. I saw on one of those kind of stat cast uh, exit velocity leaders for the day. He had the second hardest hit ball a couple days ago. So there's still so much to be excited about for Rowdy Telez. And, and I don't think that a bad or rough go through 15, 10 spring training games and 30 spring training play appearances is anything to get too worried about. I think there is, so much opportunity for him to really seize that job, to do a lot of DHing, to maybe get in some some games at first. If the Blue Jays are feeling Randy instead of Rowdy, and they want to play some, Vlad some reps at third, but so while a bad spring isn't something to be disappointed about, when you think about the other guy who might get some reps at first base and DH Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he's not having a bad spring. He's having a ridiculous spring he had four hits on tuesday he had uh, two doubles a triple and an infield single hit the ball over 400 feet twice exit velocity three of them were up over 100 miles an hour uh he he has not struck out he struck out twice in more than 20 plate appearances everything that you would have hoped to see from not a results like yeah sure he's got a his OPS is fifteen hundred or something absurd like that that's not what I'm excited about if I'm a Blue Jays fan and and I am or a fan of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm I'm excited about all of the things that you would have hoped to see he still doesn't strike out he still is being very selective he's got five walks or something and and two strikeouts which is absurd but he's hitting the ball as hard as ever he's hitting the ball up in the air it's almost a perfect spring and he looks great running the bases triple infield single like scoring from second scored from first on a double and an error or whatever like he looks exactly like you if you're a blue jays fan you would want him to look and i for one am like I, in some ways, it's similar to when he first came up. You, you know, when 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 Vlad raced through the minor leagues, I had a few you know non baseball people asking me like, "Oh, is it like you know, is he going to be good?" You know, sometimes young guys. I'm like, "No, no, forget it. Like, just like all in. Like, there's no. There, this is the kind of guy that you can just expect him to be awesome." And then he wasn't, which was disappointing. He set those expectations with his play. We grafted it onto him, but I don't think that it was unfair. But I'm back to that, where it's just like, yeah, go nuts. Whatever you want to think. Whatever numbers, what, however good you expect him to be, he's going to be better. That's where I am right now with Vlad Jr. And, and, and I, I watch uh, really closely, um, you know, as maybe more so than others. But uh, but uh, I'm just really, really excited. Every, every positive sign you could hope to see from Vlad Jr., uh, Blue Jays fans and the Blue Jays front office have seen so far here in spring training. I've got news that'll make you more excited. Thumbs up. Uh, well, I'm working on a piece right now with colleague Eno Saris, and 
we are, I'll tease it a little bit, is this we're looking at some of the Blue Jays' youngest players and areas in which, you know, they could get better. And if they were to do these things, um, they should perform better. So Vlad is going to be featured prominently in that piece. And there's some really interesting takeaways um, that we'll have um, coming out, hopefully, in in the near future here. But yeah, I mean, like Vlad is just really impressing me this spring. I think he's impressing everybody. Um, He came into camp, obviously, um, in the best shape that he could possibly be. I think that we have to assume that that's having an impact. I mean, he probably feels really great. Of course, you're going to feel great um, if you feel like you're in really great shape. Um, I think that we talked about this um, on a previous episode, but I certainly think it's a factor is that maybe he's more relaxed. Like maybe what the Blue Jays did this offseason, getting Springer, getting Semyon, um, bolstering that lineup around him and some pressures off. Like maybe finally he – and, you know, Vlad is the type of guy that – when talking to the media, he's he's very um, measured, and of course, he talks through a translator. But he he really sticks to um, similar themes. Um, he's very team oriented. He never really talks too much about his own personal game because he seems to be more concerned about just ha- doing his best for the team. Um, and so, I never got a ton of insight into whether or not he felt a lot of pressure on himself, but I just think generally knowing that I know he wants to be the best, you know, player that he can be. I know that he looks up to his dad and wants to be as good as his dad. And I'm sure there was a lot of pressure that he put on himself. And I think looking at people that were when he was a prospect and were his contemporaries and how they've kind of exploded around the league, um, you know, Tatis Jr., um, other guys, Soto, even Bobachette, right? Like they've all had really great starts to their um, careers. And like you said, Vlad's uh, start to his career while he's still been an average MLB player, probably actually slightly above average um, player, but that still felt like a disappointment um, in regards to his own abilities. So I think all that can certainly could have been wrapped up in his own sort of psyche coming into these seasons. Um, and I think this year um, he seems to maybe be letting some of that pressure go. And maybe that's partly because he doesn't have to carry that pressure because there's other guys on the Blue Jays that can do that. And this is just spring. This is just a start of it. Um, and, you know, like someone like Bo is not having a very good spring. And I don't think anyone's really talking about it because, again, like these things don't really matter. And we Bo has had a track record of being able to hit. Um, and we assume that he'll be able to do that when he, the actual season starts. but. You know, I just think this is a really nice, exciting storyline for the Blue Jays fans to have, um, to have Vlad having a nice spring. Um, I can't even remember his previous other springs. They're all kind of a blur to me now. And I feel like so much was always about his call up and other things that I don't know that we necessarily put much stock into like his actual spring results before. Um, But yeah, this time it feels different. And I think there's a lot of factors as to why I think that he's coming in, um, feeling really good and he's performed really well. And I truly, I've said this before. I've said this every time I go on the radio and every time I'm doing other podcasts and previews and people are asking me who's the breakout candidate. And I keep saying Vlad and I, I know it's weird. I know we all know who Vlad, he's not going to come out of nowhere and break out, but I really think that this is the year for him. I think that he's going to have a great season. I think, um, I, I I don't know. And yeah, 
I'm, I'm I, excited for him. I think that that the pressure that he put pressure on himself by learning on the job in a way he he needed to learn about preparation he needed to learn about what his body would needed to be the place his body needed to be in physically to do the things that he's accustomed to doing at the plate that he could get away with or that when, when he was even that a little bit younger and when he's when he's in the minor leagues in the big leagues you know the the pitching the pitching plan is much more exploitative and the, that even that extra bit of velocity that's well located you know any any of those any of the fatigue any of the inability to get um his hands and everything into the position they need to be in to really drive the ball it was it was uh, it wasn't there and so he had the one great spring and it, you know you'll you'll remember the walk off home run in Montreal that he hit off Jack Flaherty and everything was like you know it was just all happening but then he really did he has struggled obviously and we've talked about this a million times and if you read my the newsletter uh, that I write you know that this is something we've been over but even when he was struggling so you're right he's been a he's been a slightly above average big big league hitter I would say he's still a below average big league player because of his shortcomings defensively and his base running um, excitement which you know I'm all for but doesn't necessarily relate to uh, translate to being a great player but to, for him to sort of go through that and understand what he needs to be. And then I think especially to come into the spring to have done the work and put that time in and changed his body, changed his preparation, and then to see, be able to see it manifest in game, I think is huge because then it's a matter of you need to learn to love the work. You know, on the, the old show, uh, I, we interviewed Ross Atkins and, and we talked and he said something about a, a really great story that I'm sure he's told a million times, but it was about when he was in the minor leagues, you know, Ross Atkins was a great ball player in high school and was in the Cleveland organization and he was in the low minor leagues. And then Oral Hershiser was on a, a rehab stint and came down and Oral Hershiser, when he played for Cleveland was at the end of his career. He was an older guy and all these young guys are talking about how they're going to, you know, they want to hang and watch him train and get ready. And he ran all of them off the field and he just like, they were all like bent over gasping for air. And here's like 35 or 36 year old Earl Hershiser just working them, like just driving them into the ground. And he said to the, to that group and Ross Atkins mentioned in, in this interview we did with him that he's like, you need to, you need to learn to love the work. Like if you, if you don't love the work, you won't, you'll never get to where you need to be because it, it is a ton of work. And, you know, Damian Lillard said something, you know, post game after an amazing performance yesterday, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers, that was almost the same thing that he works harder and smarter now than he ever has because he's learned a, that he has to do it, but he learned how to do it. And I think that I'm, my hope is that that similar switch has gone off for Vlad as he's learned how, what it takes to be a big leaguer, that he has already so many amazing skills. And, and I wrote, this is something I wrote in a newsletter letter earlier this week about I, I was going to write about how he had only struck out once and then he struck out the day that I was going to I wrote it so he's still two strikeouts this spring and that even though he was a barely above average big leaguer even though he's fallen so, so far short of what we expected the, the someone who walks as much as he has in his big league career again his disappointed big league career someone who walks as much as he does which is above average someone who strikes out as little as he does which is below average like you know an above average strikeout rate in a good way and someone who's still an above average like hitter for power guys his age who've done that in the last decade are Juan Soto Carlos Correa uh Corey Seager and Vlad Guerrero Jr. 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like the four players, two of those guys uh, have have won. You know they've won. They've all won the World Series. They've got five, six win seasons under their belts. They you know like 130, 140, 150 weighted runs created plus, like significantly above average players. And then there's Vlad, who's it just it's so it's felt so close. And we've seen it in big chunks where he would have amazing stretches and he would hit the ball hard. And, you know, he hit those two home runs in San Francisco and he kind of went on a tear in his rookie season. And then he sort of ran out of gas and, and, and was awful. And then he really finished strong last year. There's a lot. It's all right there. And, and to see it, even in spring training when it doesn't, it only counts if you want it to count. I want it to count. Definitely counts right here in spring training. Yeah. I will just add that I use this analogy or comparison or whatever. I think back in like 2019, I sort of thought of it. And I, I feel like this sort of explain, this is how I explain Vlad or maybe how I understand it is like, I think growing up, all of us, there was maybe classmates we had along the way that just never seemed to have to study and they would ace a test. And, and all through elementary school and all through high school, they could sort of get away with never studying and still performing really well. But at some point in their education, there comes a point when they probably couldn't just get by on not studying and their, uh, you know, ability to retain stuff. They're probably at some point in their education, be it university, grad school, or whatever it may be, probably came up to a point where you did, did start to have to do the work, the extra work. You did have to start to really, um, you know, open those books and study long nights and uh, understand what it really took to, you know, be a scholar or whatever it may be. And I think in some ways, Vladdy in the minors just could rely on that like naturally powerful bat that he just possessed. And I think not to say that he wasn't working hard in the minors, I'm sure he was working hard in the minors, but it just seemed like he probably was able to get by on that like natural ability. And when he reached the major leagues, that is just at the point where, yes, you got to the major leagues because of that natural gift that you have, but you do have to sort of supplement it with the work with getting your body ready, with the preparation, with studying um, pictures, with all these kinds of things, nutrition, everything goes into it. And so I don't know if it's a perfect analogy, but that's sometimes some, that's sort of how I thought about it in the past. It, it um, makes sense. It, I, yeah. I think it, A, um, how dare you? I feel so <laughs> exposed now. You've like just laid me bare. Is that you? Oh, because we, we know I was the studier trying oh. to get A's all the time. As soon as I had to like start doing work outside of school and uh, the, my, my downfall, we don't have to get too personal here, but my, uh, my educational downfall at the end of high school was when I had been relying on just testing well and, and paying attention in class and then that right. was it. And then it, at the end of high school, when you had to do more work and I also was working like 35 hours a week and like getting drunk at a prolific rate, it was a bad combination. And then all my education all fell apart and I never got back to it. So that's another story for another day, but yeah, and maybe you, another podcast. I don't know. Another podcast. This is that, that's got more sports felt vibes than it does <laughs> than spin rate, but you're right. And, and you know, it, and again, again, it comes back to how it's always just felt right there because the, the power that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has, the ability to hit the ball so hard, like among the hardest, you know, exit, highest exit velocities. Like, I don't know that that's an innate skill, but that's definitely something that is unique to him. It's a, it, and it is a skill. The ability to hit the ball so hard is a skill. The ability, his ability to put the bat on the ball is, a, is, is again, not, maybe not an innate skill, but again, for someone to strike out so little in a time when everybody strikes out to be as inexperienced as he is in relative terms. 
those two things are skills and he has them. And it's always just, it's, it's those two things that you can combine with his selectivity and then everything else that, that comes with it. And if it's a little bit of fitness, a little bit of work, a little bit of, of, of structure has, is going to unlock those things. And he'll be very much like what he, the player he was in, in the minor leagues at 18 and 19. Uh, that's what's really exciting. We'll be coming back with more spin rate in just a second. But first, check this out. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Another thing that's a skill, and I've caught a little bit of flack about that, and I think that's what, how we're going to change our subject, which is something that I've I've been saying and 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 I am I've said many times, and that is health is a skill. And and one of you know I've seen a few different people say something which I'd never heard before, and then I realize it's a bit of like an old saw, but you know the best ability is availability, and and I health is a skill. And it can be learned and it's part of it can be innate and it could be a bit of that, that, that combination of things. Um, and that is a skill that right now Nate Pearson does not have. Nate Pearson does not yet have the health of skill that I want to make sure that I, people understand when I say that that's not a criticism. That's not that I think that he's soft or that I think that he doesn't work hard or I think that he's aching or, you know, I, when I, I was saying this and there's one person on Twitter who took real exception to me saying that he's who's saying, you got these stupid hot takes about Nate Pearson. I'm like, well, he gets hurt all the time. He does. Like, I, it's not a judgment. But then I think back to when AJ Burnett was first coming to Toronto and AJ Burnett was the kind of guy that carried the injury prone label. And I think that maybe the way that we talked about players and that thing was more like it was thrown out there in a, in a, in a quite a disparaging way. I think when AJ Burnett signed his big contract with the Blue Jays, Caitlin, you were probably far too young to remember, but it was, it was this whole idea that, well, this is, they've given in, they've given an injury prone 500 pitcher, you know, $60 million over five years or whatever they gave him. But when I say that Nate Pearson doesn't have the skill of health yet, I I don't mean it in a disparaging way. I think it's just realistically at this point, it's a fact. He suffered a setback from his groin injury that he suffered at the beginning, you know, earlier in spring training. He's very unlikely to make the club out of out of spring uh, coming out of spring. Uh, and Thomas Hatch, who I, I don't have any hot takes about his ability to stay healthy, um, 
but he also uh, walked off the mound in in un, in some auspicious circumstances, flexing his hand and shaking out his elbow, all the things that you hate to see. But you know, these are blows to the team. They're blows to a team that is building its entire pitching philosophy around depth and the avail the ability to come at teams in waves and have you know a half dozen quasi starters to be in behind Hyunjin Ryu and. Robbie Ray at this point, the top two pitchers at the, at the, the top of the Blue Jays depth chart. So it's, it's a little worrisome. And again, I don't, I don't, I, I don't have any, I'm not critis- critical of, of Nate Pearson, but the fact of the matter is he just hasn't been able to stay on the mound for a bunch of different reasons, many of which are out of his control. But the only thing that predicts future injuries is past injuries. And he's got a lot of them and it's really, it's, it's worrisome. And, I hope that it's maybe just that he's getting an extra kid glove treatment. I don't know. Caitlin, am I, am I, am I throwing out hot takes like some kind of, uh, 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 tabloid columnist here? No, I think your takes are lukewarm, maybe. Um, how dare you? Then this is why you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, um, say at least the 2018 injury from Nate, I think we have to point out that was very freakish in nature. It was like the first inning or his first outing, he got hit with a comebacker in the arm and mm-hmm. broke that. But he was hurt. I, I, again, yeah. I, I, it wasn't his fault, but he no. was hurt. He's been, he's been hurt. And it's not his shoulder. It's not his elbow. It's not the pitching thing where it's like, well, this guy's not up to the task. Not saying that at all. He's been hurt. He's been hurt way more than he's not been hurt in his mm-hmm. professional career so far. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Hot take. That's, but that's a little hotter than than I thought. <laughs> but <laughs> with Pearson now potentially missing, and and I don't know if that has, says anything about his role. And then Thomas Hatch now, which I know you were very excited to talk about Thomas Hatch news, but but uh, it's uh, it it's really going to test this depth based philosophy that they seem to be moving forward with. Yeah, so like, uh, let's start with Pearson. I mean, this week it wasn't great news that he re-aggravated the already mild um, groin strain. The Blue Jays keep talking about this strain in very, you know, minor terms, but it's we're going on, what, two, three weeks now, and it's still there. It's still present. Um, but obviously... Um, latest word on him is that he's feeling better. Um, certainly I think the Blue Jays aren't going to rush to get him back on a mound, also given the fact that they already did that and he re-aggravated the thing. And at this point, if he's not going to make the opening day roster, which he's not going to, it's highly unlikely and he won't have enough time to stretch out, obviously, then it's like, take more time. I mean, it's a 162 season. If he's going to miss three weeks at the start, it's probably okay as long as he gets healthy. And the thing that I don't know if we talked about this before, but this has been raised. I think some of my colleagues on the beat have written about it. I've seen it pointed out. It's the fact that the Blue Jays were going to have to watch that innings total of Pearson um, to begin with. And I I don't think they were going to put a hard cap on it. They were going to sort of evaluate through the year, depending on how he was feeling. But at some point he was going to have to, slow down. He was going to have to maybe skip a few starts. Um, I don't know how many innings you think he'll get, um, you know, 120, maybe, I don't know, but, uh, the, the, the delayed start to his season might actually somewhat be a silver lining. in the fact that you may save enough bullets, so to speak of using Nate Pearson so that he actually could finish out the year. I don't know if it'll actually 
time out to be that, but it's one way of looking at it. You obviously never want a player to be injured, but if there is going to be a silver lining with it, maybe it's that is that, you know, the time that he misses now he can make up for at the end and he won't end up having to be shut down at the end of the season. If that, if the blue Jays were going to come up against that sort of um, cap, whether or not would happen or not. Um, So it's not, it's not great news for Nate Pearson, but I mean, if you're going to have an injury, one that is not to do with your arm is probably preferable. So I would say I'm still sort of not in any sort of freak out mode over Nate Pearson. I hear your, I hear you, what you're saying though, about sort of the trend that we're seeing from him. And that is concerning. And that's maybe something that um, we have to watch. We have to keep an eye on Nate Pearson. The Blue Jays are going to have to consider if he is going to be this, um, quote unquote, injury prone player, which I, I, I hate using that term because I think so, like, and I, I know that you don't enjoy using that term either. Like, I think I understand where you're coming from. It, it does have sort of a negative, negative connotation. And it's not fair because so many of the, inj- the injuries that players suffer are not their fault. They're random. Um, they are freak of nature, like freak in nature. They just happen. Um, but certainly you can't, like you're saying, ignore the facts before us and the facts are that he has missed a lot of time with injury and he does seem to um you know run up against these injuries and maybe one doesn't have much to do with the other but if they keep happening you have to wonder why um moving to thomas hatch that is obviously a little bit more concerning because it clearly was feeling discomfort in the arm the latest on that is that um the he's going to get more imaging like the blue jays don't know yet he's going to get an mri they're going to look um there was some mm, actually i would say that the blue jays weren't even speculating i mean um the general word was that he felt okay he felt fine but you never really know until you get the imaging and and what's really going to come from that i mean i sort of viewed thomas hatch as the blue jays depth in that depth starting group I thought that he would probably start this season in AAA whenever AAA starts. Um, I think he had an outside shot at maybe making the rotation. The Blue Jays are really intent on keeping him a starter. Um, So that's why I was led to believe that he probably wasn't going to be on the major league roster to start the year, just because I think that their rotation will be filled out with um, Ross Stripling to take Pearson's place. Um, But it does cut into that depth. And I think, you know, we can sort of evolve and move into this topic that pitching and managing a pitching staff is going to be as difficult, more difficult than it was last year. I mean, last year it was strange circumstances. Guys were getting built up in a sort of condensed time period, but you also only had to run them out over 60 games, right? It's like, you know, 11, 12 starts for for starters is, is somewhat manageable. And then you also had expanded rosters. You could have like 15 relievers if you wanted. Um, I'm sure at some point the Blue Jays probably did. Um, and so it was a challenge, but you also had some more options. This year it's going to be different. You're going to have guys that are coming off year where they didn't build up their workload, you're going to want to be mindful of how much they're pitching. Um, but you're also going to be back to sort of normal roster levels. There's not going to be a limit to the number of pitchers that you can have on your roster, but there's only going to be 26 spots. And you also have to be conscious of having bench players um, and having a balance to your roster. So I think the Blue Jays could go 13 and 13. I think they could go um, 12 and 14 um, in terms of position player versus pitcher. We'll see. But um, depth is going to be a really important thing. And if Hatch does turn out to be out for a long time, and I hope 
it's not. I hope that it was just a precautionary measure. I hope it was just a scare. I hope that, um, you know, I hope that in a few days time we hear that he'll be completely fine. Cause, um, it's really heartbreaking when you see guys, I was there two years ago when Tim Mesa blew out his arm and it's just heartbreaking to talk to guys when that happens. Cause this is their livelihood. And, um, you know, I just, I don't want to write that story. Um, no, uh, you're right. And, and obviously that's the big worry. The one that everyone is, is, is looking to avoid. And that is, Oh, this guy's got to get Tommy John or worse yet. It's a shoulder labrum. Um, some of the other stuff that they used to do with the thing with the rib and then we take the ribs out and all that sort of stuff. Um, you want to avoid that because of the, the severity of it. But here, maybe here's more of a hot take for you. Okay. If you have an otherwise healthy ball player who in the six or seven years that you intend to, for them to play in your team, if they come up, they get Tommy John, they miss a year, and then they come back and they can, now they've, they've, they resume being a healthy ball player. Yeah, you missed a year of that. But if you have a guy who sure does, didn't have to get the big surgery, didn't have to go to see, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Elatash or, or, uh, or Dr. James Dr. Andrews. Andrews or any of these other guys. Um, but if you look up at the end of those six or seven years and you're talking about a guy who's missed big chunks of seasons over and over and over, let me throw a name at you, a name like Aaron Sanchez, right? Aaron Sanchez never had until now, you know, the, the, the shoulder thing or, or, or an elbow thing, but he missed a ton of time. Right. Aaron Sanchez had an oblique here and an oblique there and just a series of injuries. A lot of blisters. Blisters, all that sort of stuff. So I think if you, if you maybe zoom out a little bit and you say, sure, he didn't have this potentially catastrophic injury, but if a healthy guy who just blew out his elbow because pitching is really catastrophic on your body versus this is a guy who made 30 starts for us once in seven years. That's where maybe that, you know, that it, we, we can reestablish or, or maybe just take a look at this idea of the, the, that being the, the, the game changer versus just being injured all the time. But I think the it other point like, is. It feels like you're asking me a would you rather Tommy John or years of little injuries? I, I, I could be, but, I, but, you know, if you've ever read The Arm, Jeff, Jeff, uh, Jeff Passon, you mentioned him, his book, mm-hmm. The Arm. Uh, it's great. And I wouldn't wish Tommy John surgery on anybody because it's creepy and weird and it's really, really challenging thing to come back from. But at the same time, I wouldn't wish a series of oblique injuries or an oblique and then a knee and then an ankle and a blister where you're just, you, because, because of the way you think, you're like, my arm is fine. I should be out there pitching, but I can't because my, my rib muscle tore off the bone or whatever it might be. That, it sucks. But I think that. The, all, the whole conversation with the Blue Jays in depth and who's a triple A and who's going to be in double A. I think it's, it's a little bit of an, we, we, we've been trying to apply a more traditional lens to a team that I truly believe is not going to look like the 2016 Blue Jays might as well have been the two, the 1956 Blue Jays. 26 Blue Jays, 2016 Blue Jays. How many, do you remember? You were, you were on the sport, on the desk then. Do you um, know how, yeah. hmm? how many starters? Hmm? I do Sorry. know what you're going to ask me. Ask me the question, and I know the answer. How many starters did they use in 2016? Seven. Seven starters. And Drew Hutchison I can, started. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. 
So I, I know because I looked this up recently, mm-hmm. five starters started, I want to say 29 games or more. Mm-hmm. Two starters, Drew Hutchison, maybe started two games. Mm-hmm. And Francisco Liriano started like seven games. Eight. Eight. Oh, Eight. so close. So close. And the rest of the rotation, which would have been like Stroman Sanchez mm-hmm. was correct in the rotation that year. Yep. You're two for two. Uh, Jay Happ. In, incorrect. Oh no, you're right. Sorry, you 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 are right. I okay. it was I, I had a, I had a different left-handed guy in my head, but you're right. Uh, Jay Happ, Ari Dickey was still on that team. He was. That's it. That's the, those are the four that took the ball 29 times. Well, there's a fifth one, wasn't there? No, Burley was gone. Oh, Estrada, Estrada, Estrada. Yeah, I got it in front of me and I'm getting it wrong. Sorry. Yeah, it was, it was Stroman, Happ, Estrada, Dickey, uh, Sanchez, and then ten starts from from uh, Liriano and Hutcherson. Well, those days are gone. Like, that's not what this team is going to be. You know, you know, and even Hyunjin Ryu, he is far from an innings eater. Marcus Stroman threw 200 innings that year. Uh, Hap threw 195, and Sanchez threw 192, which is crazy to think. Uh, that's not even going to be Hyunjin Ryu. That's not going to be anybody on this Blue Jays team. They are not going to run seven guys out there. They, they used 11 last year. The Rays used 11, or the, sorry, the Blue Jays used 12 starters last year. The Rays used 11. You go back to the year before the Rays, again, a good team. They, they were more heavily with the opener maybe in 2019, but they still, they had like 13 different guys that took, that started games for them. I think that's closer to what the Blue Jays are going to look like. Even the 2020 uh, Rays, where it's you've got Glasnow, you've got Snell, and then you got whatever. You know, you got Ryan what, Ryan Yarbrough through the second most innings on the team, and I don't think he started more than ten times. Like I really think that's the model that the that the Blue Jays are going to follow uh, this year. And it's one of those. It's it's hard for us to kind of shift our mindset, but at the same time, when people are always going on on and on, like be more like the Rays, the Blue Jays got to be more like the Rays. Well, they're doing it. So while they didn't go out and sign Jake Odorizzi and they didn't go crazy and uh, and 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 blow a bunch of money on Trevor Bauer, thank God. But you know, this is what this is what being like the Rays looks like, and it and it means leveraging the entire roster uh you know leveraging the minor leagues using some of your back end relief guys to to do opening stuff but also just having these guys that are kind of bulk guys maybe kind of bulk guys inning two inning three innings bring a guy up have him pitch a bunch send him down i really think that that it, the blue jays are going to look more like that i don't know exactly how it's going to look i think it's going to be closer to that than it is anything else because i mean are, are steve matt's going to be pitching six innings a night is robbie ray going to be pitching six innings tonight tanner Rourke sure as shit is not going to be getting more than four innings at a time they have to get those innings from somewhere, so they're going to use this depth, these guys that we would have maybe penciled in as the number three starter, the number four starter. I think that the Anthony Kays and the, you know, hopefully the Thomas Hatches and even Nate Pearson, they're going to be more fitting together like a jigsaw puzzle than in like a just a set order that goes from one to five and then starts back up again. Yeah, and I think that I have been thinking about that the last couple of days too, and I probably wasn't thinking about the bullpen in this sort of new age way. I think I was thinking previous to um, this week or, you know, in previous sort of like roster projections and depth charts that I've worked on, um, you know, I've been selecting uh, relievers I think will make the team. And I sort of started thinking about this this week, this past week is like, 
a lot of the relievers that I think are making the team are traditional, like one inning guys. Like I'm talking um, like David Phelps, uh, Kirby Yates, um, Jordan Romano. I mean, he's got a small sample, but he looks like he's going to be a one inning guy. Um, Dolis, like these are typically one inning guys. Maybe you can stretch them out for four outs. Um, I think some of them have the ability to do an up and down as the pitchers call it. Um, and um Ryan Barucki is a name you mentioned off air who probably does have the ability to maybe go two innings, maybe four or five outs, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I was thinking this week and I actually, Ross Atkins had like a, a zoom call with us. And I asked this question to him is that are as much as they throughout spring training, stretch these young guys out and they all these young guys on the roster say, I want to be a major league starter. That's my, you know, I, I want to, my preference is to be a starter, but I'll do what it takes to be on the major league team. So guys like Trent Thornton, um, Thomas Hatch, you mentioned, um, Anthony Kay, TJ Zoic, who's like, um, had a really nice spring too, if we're talking about having nice springs. Um, those names, I'm forgetting one. Jer- Julian Merriweather, um, the elusive Julian, <laughs> the elusive Tommy Julian Malone, right? There's so, um, there's so many guys like that. Yeah. So there's so many guys. Um, Tim Meza, I think even, I mean, he's probably one inning, but he can probably get like four outs. There's a lot of guys there that um, I was thinking they're going to be starters. Um, but now I'm thinking they, the Blue Jays have probably got to add one of those young, younger sort of starter types to the bullpen. I mean, Ross Stripling's going to be a swing man, but he's probably going to start the year in the rotation out of necessity. You're going to have to have another guy that can take the ball for a few innings. Cause like you said, like the starters are not going to be pitching especially to start the year into the sixth seventh inning I mean it hardly happened last year I think Ryu was the only pitcher to do it and it only happened like once and just the nature of their staff um I think that the key to this rotation being good is going to just be milking what you can at the start of games getting the most out of these starters um at start of games but not letting them get too far into an outing as to erase maybe the good returns that were in the first few innings. Like, you know, if Robbie Ray mm-hmm. throws three, four good innings, maybe you get him out at that point. Right. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's the balance to strike is, uh, and, and this has been a, a criticism that I've had of the Rays over the years. And maybe one of the reasons that up until 2020, that they weren't ever really able to achieve much in the playoffs is you can't, you can't manage every single game all season long like it's the seventh game of the World Series. Well, yeah. And and you do at some point you run out of bodies. But there's the Blue Jays are looking like they're building themselves in a way that they won't run out of bodies. They're trying to prevent the ability to run out of bodies. And also as a nice little bonus, if they don't have to pay anybody because nobody's got these big innings, nobody's getting traditional kind of things that would score you extra earnings in arbitration. That's just kind of like a little happy accident a little bit, right? Like, oh, you didn't, you're not really a starter. That, they want to be starters because they want to get paid $40 million a year like Trevor Bauer, yeah. right? The, the, I don't, I don't fault them for it. So, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, do I think the Blue Jays are, are being devious and underhanded and looking to undercut wages like that? I don't think so. I think this is what they think is the is the path to winning. Do I think the Rays are doing that? Absolutely, one hundred percent. They've always done it that way. But I digress. So I, I just think that I think that there are the 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 roles are really going to get muddy. I think as the season goes along, unless they don't. Unless if Stephen Matz is like, oh yeah, no, I'm good. You can get you can count on me for seven innings a night, and he's has the year the season of his career. And Robbie Ray forgets that he's Robbie Ray, and you know if they keep getting out, they'll keep letting them pitch uh, mm-hmm. to to one point to to some point or another, but. Just the idea of really stretching that roster and really making use of 
options when the guys have got them and taking advantage of the fact that hopefully fingers crossed at some point or another you know buffalo and toronto were close by so you get that shuttle going back and forth and you just try to win the games that you can and maybe steal a couple that you that you wouldn't have expected to win and if stealing a stealing a, a win excuse me means that you you are you try to steal three extra outs with Tanner Rourke one day or or get six outs from from Tim Meza who I, I don't know I love I got a lot of time for Tim Meza I, I think he's a really interesting arm out, out there in the bullpen so I think it's a it's a it'll be it'll be really it'll it won't take long and we'll start to see that this team is going to be maybe managed on the pitching side a little bit different than what we're used to yeah and I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that it will be a balance though because what the Blue Jays did last year how they managed games, how they use the bullpen is not sustainable. Mm. And it no. wasn't even sustainable over 60 games. Like you saw the bullpen sort of start to crumble in on itself towards mm-hmm. the end of mm-hmm. the season. Like they were one of the best bullpens in the American League for the first half. And then they were like one of the worst bullpens in the American League in the second half. They got tired. Um, it was a weird year, but over 162, you're going to like, it's exactly like you said, not every game is going to be the seventh game of the World Series. Some games you're just going to have to accept that this is this is not one for us. We've got to essentially throw the throw the towel in. I mean, you're, you know, you still play the game, but you know, you don't have to manage aggressively if a game is out of reach. Um, mm-hmm. But you just try to win as many as possible um, that you can using the best combination of pitchers possible. I will also add that I've been thinking about this. And this is a, a, a wider conversation um, about baseball in general. But I wonder if like what the Rays are doing, what the Blue Jays are potentially doing, what we've seen around the league is going to lead to the idea that maybe there shouldn't be roster limits on the number of pitchers that you can have on your roster. I think the danger of that is, you know, really loading up on a bullpen or whatever it may be. But we're already seeing like, I mean, there was a rule a couple of years back, a, a limit, um, and then they didn't have it last year because of the weird circumstances. They ha- they've said there's no limit this year. We're coming up on a new CBA anyway for next season and beyond. I wonder if that's going to be something where you- there's just going to be no no limits on the number of pitchers that you can have on the roster because it's it, it seems like I don't I like if teams want to pitch creatively like I don't have an issue with that. I think it's fun. Um and I think that maximizing your pitchers, using them in creative ways, using openers, using bulk guys, piggybacking starters, all these types of things. I think it makes the game interesting. So, um, you know, I'd be for that. Um, we'll see. This is going to be a season where there's no limit on the pitchers. But, yeah, I think if that is, like, the trend of pitching, if that is going to be where the game is going, then then Major League Baseball does have to consider that just being a permanent, um, you know, a permanent roster rule that you can – you don't have to limit the number of pitchers you can have on your roster. It, it, I think the big thing uh, with that is obviously going to be those are those are changes that are going to need to happen um, on the the CBA, the CBA, making sure that guys are still yeah, able yeah. to get paid and, and keep their keep their um, uh, keep their options and all those sorts of things are um, uh, uh, really 
uh, they remain to be seen. And, and it's one of those gray areas that's going to get kind of battled out because again, I, I think about you know, a player like Ryan Yarbrough who plays for the Tampa Bay Rays, who almost any other team would probably be a starter, probably a lot more starts, a lot more wins under his belt. Um, so when then he does go to, to arbitration, he's in a little bit of a different position, um, to, to, mm-hmm. to, to work within the, the structure that, that exists in baseball because, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're trying to win. They're, they're there to, they're there to win and, and to, live their dreams and be baseball players, but they're there to get paid too, right? There's lots of money in the game. So they, it's, it's good. And we're always hopeful that the players can get it. One thing I want to um, say, we've been talking a little bit about Hyunjin Ryu and I want to take a little bit of a divergence, um, which is uh, the, the horrific things that happened in Atlanta, the horrific murder um, in Atlanta and all the ongoing rise of anti-Asian violence is like really, really uh, just unbelievable. So hideous. And there are some amazing groups working in Toronto to uh, support Asian and migrant uh, sex workers and uh, a group called Butterfly CSW. So you can look them up. Um, something that I would, I would recommend if you are feeling powerless and looking to make a difference. Um, something that has been on my mind has been on everyone's mind, obviously, these, these horrific killings. And then again, this is something that's been not new, um, not not uh, confined to the, the COVID shutdown, which is obviously kind of raise it up to the to a higher profile, but not new stuff, and um, just something that we should all uh, remember when we're when we're talking about baseball and talking about the we're talking about people's lives and and and, and livelihoods. But uh, there's a big scary world going on uh, still out there, and really ridiculous things that are happening. And if we have time to sit and talk about this, we can probably take a little bit of time, just this much time. And, uh, and and talk about something else that can hopefully get some people motivated. And and again, if you're looking for an out an outlet for your feelings of frustration and hopelessness, maybe that can be the one for today. So mm-hmm. with that down note, but I think this is a good show, Caitlin. What do you think? I think it was a great show. I will add to what you said and just point people towards our colleague in um, San Francisco. Tim Kawakami wrote a really powerful piece about what you were just talking about, about violence. Um, against the Asian community. And so uh, it's not behind the paywall. So if you're not a subscriber yet, you're considering it, you can check out that piece. It's free to read and I would highly recommend it. Awesome. I think I would think so too. Tim is uh, one of the most respected writers in in North America and it's a a powerful piece, like you said. Uh, So I think that's it. We, we, we've done our spiel off the top. We did the appeal to, to sign up. So with that, I hope everybody uh, can keep enjoying uh, the spring training games. Enjoy the, the little distraction and the, and the fun that we have talking about baseball games. And, and hopefully we can, again, mo- be motivated sometimes too to, 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 make a, to strike out into the world and, and do something a little bit more than uh, arguing about if it should be Alejandro Kirk or Reese McGuire on the, on the Blue Jays roster. But not that that's not important because that's what we're here to do. So my name is Drew Fairservice. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Follow her on Twitter. Follow me. Read her on The Athletic just listen to this podcast and I'm good to go. So that's it. We'll talk to you next week on Spin Rate.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.